What's up, man? What's going on, Trey? Not a lot. How are you doing today? Good. Good. I mean, it was a pretty pretty damn good week last week, huh? Yeah. If you uh, if you are involved in any way, shape, or form with with teams in Texas, pretty pretty good week. Are you still kicking everybody's ass in our uh, season long football picks? Well, funny you ask that because I still have a two game season long lead, but Dodgers hat is fitting today because I'm I'm just absolutely I'm just I'm just letting it go, just choking down the stretch. This is what I do every year. Oh I'm, wow! I'm I mean, this is the biggest now. This is much closer than it was a week ago, and this is one of the rare weeks that I was pretty good this week. I was six and two this week, which isn't yeah. going to win me any money. But uh, what did you do this week? See, that's what I thought I was going to do. So I had my stretch where I went seven and one, eight and zero. Oh. I mean, fifteen and one in your last sixteen. Like you're gonna you're gonna have a bad week. Like I knew the bad week was coming. I went three and five the next week. Mm. Well, I started this last week four and one, and then just completely just made just made really bad reads, you know, which I guess is, you know, it's like, it's like we talked about when we, you know, we talked about gambling and, and all all that. uh, uh, I think that was what week or two weeks ago, but it's just like, no matter how good you're doing, you always know that you're about to get kicked in the nuts at some point. Like the, the humility is right around the corner, which to me makes it, makes it fun. Um, But yeah, I've, I've, I've don't think I've had a lead this long in a couple of years in this league. But the last two times I, I have had that, I just completely like wiltered away at the end and just went like three and five, three and five, four and four. So, well, I hope you can get it together because you do still have a lead right now. And uh, the person that you're in front of, they didn't pick the Monday night game. So you, you still have that two game cushion. I'm doing okay this year for me. I'm 25th right now. And I, I completely skipped a week, unfortunately. What, what's your overall record? 53 and 43. So I'm oh, 10 dude, that's... 500 right now, which is good. Yeah. For me. Normally I'm right at 500, but I, I also mean, haven't gotten a, a weekly win just yet. And that's normally what helps, uh, helps pay off the, uh, the dues for the year. See that. And that's what I, I got that earlier in the week or earlier in the year. And then I had one where I split and I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm up for the year. Yeah. So now, I mean, you feel like you're playing with house money after that, but no doubt. when you have the lead, you're, you're really not because it's like, you know, you can't lose. I was looking at it as you can't lose money you never had. But if I'm in first late and then I don't win any money, it's going to feel like I lost money. <laughs> yeah. Well, how much fun was it getting to stand on the field for 57 to 7 on Friday night? I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went there because I did want to talk about the atmosphere. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Like we've said it a couple times this year and even last year, but I mean, winning helps, but just overall what they've done, what Chris Del Conte and the administration have done with that atmosphere, um, it's it's pretty pretty spectacular. And again, having a good team really, really helps. But I mean, Black Friday, 6.30 kick, you know, a lot of other Black Friday games in the past have been teams and games that aren't as exciting. Um, and they've been 11 a.m. kicks. So 6.30 helped, but I mean, the students were unbelievable. Um like ev- everything about it, everything down to like it went, they, they could not have anticipated that going any better. Being able to put the Yormark dunk on them in the fourth quarter with the game completely out of hand. Cause I would love to know what the logistics were behind that of like, how much do we have to be up by in the fourth quarter before we do that? Cause obviously you want to do it during the game while everyone's there. Mm-hmm. And Sark, I mean, and then to have Arch, and then to have Arch come in, like what a perfect way 
to to go on your way and and send tech back on their way towards what looks like just uh, i mean years of mediocrity i know people believe in you know what what coach mcguire is going to do there and and all that but like to send tech out going 11 and 1 a win that gets you to 11 and 1 a win that gets you into the big 12 championship game with your mark there in attendance the dunk on your mark and then on top of that saying hey you get to stay in the big 12 we're going to go into the sec 11 and 1 big 12 championship likely and then oh yeah here's this manning that's going to start for us the next two or three years like there's no way your mark still there's there's no way your mark was still at the game when they played his comments on the jumbotron at the end was there i don't know i mean the only time i saw him was when he did his kind of regular deal on the you know, where they walk around in the field and be seen. And I'll give him credit for that. I'll give him credit for showing up and for being seen too. He was chatting when I, when I saw him, he was chatting with Jerry Jones. So he was certainly not trying to hide when he was down there on the field. Um, But yeah, like overall, just insane atmosphere. I mean, everything from the improvement of everything, what they've done with Bevo Boulevard, the drone show, the lights, (laughs) the improvement on the field, can't can't say enough about how much the overall game day atmosphere has has improved. I overall I agree with you and I'm going to be critical because well it's me. But before I am critical specifically with the lights, I second your motion that the fans came ready to cheer this team on. And Texas probably would have beat the hell out of Texas Tech even without a great crowd. That was truly a great crowd. And I've sat in that stadium with some really good crowds and really bad crowds. It's probably a top 10 crowd that I've gotten to be a part of. So kudos to everybody who was at the game. That was my first time to be at a night game since they redid the lights. I think they're overdoing it with the lights right now. They're trying too hard to change the lights up just in regular moments. And I don't think they need to do that necessarily. I can keep the overhead lights, the floodlights on to keep the field lit and do still uh, do still uh, still do excuse me some other cool things in the stadium while not messing with the uh, the overall lighting of the stadium itself. Do you like it after a touchdown? Nah, it's it's okay. It's not. It's uh, I I know why they do it, and it looks really cool on television. But I I don't think that it adds a whole lot to the in to the in game atmosphere or the in stadium atmosphere or the in-stadium experience. The drone show was really cool. My kids love the drone show, but I was just looking around watching what they were doing to the lights. There wasn't really much of a rhyme or reason other than just changing the lighting up because something good had happened. Like you already have enough of that going on with the cannon firing off, with the band playing, Texas fight like they do after every touchdown. Like there's already several other things happening when touchdowns are getting scored to – all of a sudden to have the lights flicker essentially and change colors, I just think is is maybe a step too far for for some, myself included. Yeah, I don't feel that strongly about it, to be honest, like with, with the lights, but I do think going into the fourth quarter of a close game down the stretch, like I, I'm envisioning it next year in like a tight SEC game, and you play that and whatever song. Um, I mean, I could go, I could totally do without the don't stop believing whenever they do that. They do that again because we were gone by halftime. My kids made oh, a yeah. poor decision to uh, underdress for a cold game, despite uh, me and Justine giving them warnings saying, Hey, you're going to be wanted, you're going to want to be dressed a little bit more warm. 
no, no, we're fine. My daughter's like, I was born in Chicago. I can deal with the cold. My son, he's like me, insists on wearing shorts everywhere. But they they regretted that, and so we left at halftime. But they did the don't stop believing again going into the fourth yeah. quarter. Uh, actually, I don't think it was going into the fourth. The drone show, I believe, was going into the fourth. But they did do it at some point. But I just – I can picture the lights kind of, you know, going dim, the lights going into the fourth quarter of a, you know, one-score game in the SEC. Like, I think that kind of stuff's awesome. I mean, they did it at Bama, and obviously it was to rile up that crowd against Texas. But I thought that was awesome too. Um, CB's asking loudest cheers when Arch came in. That was insane when huh. he came in the game. And we were all – you could see everybody sort of figuring it out, like it being passed, like, oh, my God, people, like, nudging each other. Because he's always in the huddle or at, outside the huddle, and he's always throwing and staying loose. I mean, that, that, that's what all those guys do. It's what they should be doing, you know, staying engaged, listening in the huddle, being ready. Just Because, like we've seen, all it takes is one play, and then all of a sudden you're in there for the rest of the game. Well, we were like, oh, he's throwing. And then we, we go, oh, like all the media guys were like, Quinn doesn't even have his helmet. Like he wasn't even holding his helmet. He did not have his helmet in his hand. And we had seen what ha- we had seen, not what happened to Malik. We didn't know, but we knew he wasn't available, which is crazy in and of itself that he got hurt on like two guys getting tangled up, blocking on Keelan Robinson's kickoff return. Like what a, what a bummer, but Hey, and then, did you go back and watch that play? I have not gone back and watched that yet. It's like, how did – it's just strange. I, I know those guys stand right there on the sidelines and sometimes plays along the sidelines can uh, you can have some blowback with regards to uh, a dude getting uh, getting rolled into essentially, but it's just crazy that he, that he hurt himself like that. He must have just fallen on the arm or something after he got hit. Yeah, and then when guys – when a guy breaks a big run like that, the sidelines, whether it's – a UT game or a high school game. I mean, the sidelines just go crazy and people don't necessarily run onto the field, but they might as well be on the field and everyone just losing their minds, especially a kickoff like that. It was senior night. Everyone was super fired up for Keelan Robinson. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy who, you know, kind of brought Sark's culture with him was one of those guys that Sark talked about as being really thankful for and helping him instill all the things that, that they want this program to be about. So that played into it too, that everyone was so fired up. It was coming out of the half. Not that you thought there was any doubt, but it was like, okay, the game's over. (laughs) I mean, everyone in the stadium was like, we just put tech to bed. So I think it was all of those things combined and, and guys too, I believe it was, I went back and saw something that somebody posted of the up top angle. And I think it was somebody like blocked a guy into the sideline. And you know, when you're blocking like that on kickoff return, you're just trying to play your ass off. Like you're just trying to say, I'm going to block this guy until I hear the whistle or until I know, you know, he probably didn't even see Keelan run by him. Um, But, but back to Arch, I mean, when Arch came in, that was the loudest I've heard that stadium cheer for a non touchdown or a non play. Basically the loudest I've seen them cheer for something that didn't involve like a a big play. Mm -hmm. And, it was hilarious that Arch, before he even took a snap, had to give everybody the, the calm down, calm down, <laughs> just trying to hear, which obviously in college at that level is not, they're not, they should be getting the call. I mean, that's another conversation about the conversation, but not even like that in the NFL. Like he already had the call. He was just like, everybody, please chill. <laughs> what is the deal with him continuing to do his arm like this when he's in the game? Like it, I, 
at first, I think, I, it's just, I think it's just keeping the shoulder loose. Like that's what I would. That'd be that'd be like the obvious guess, I think. Because I feel like he's the shoulders loose, Arch. You could stop that now, but maybe that's just uh, one of his uh, in huddle mannerisms. Just because, like he was doing that the entire time that he was in the game. Ner- nervous tick, I guess. I don't know. Could be that. Yeah, Jake Cutler had something where he used to like push his chest back and push his shoulders back. So maybe it's one of those deals. But, but, Trey, you know I'm a Malik guy. I think Malik's going to have a really good college career somewhere, and he's a really good player. I like how you said somewhere. <laughs> Man, Arch, I mean, I, I feel like we saw it. I feel like you saw – you. It, I mean, am I am – I, and I'm usually not this guy. Trey, you can tell me. You can check me. Am I falling into the trap here? I mean, it, you saw him move on that third down. Yeah, those – the passes on the goal line could have been touchdowns. I think those could have been caught. He probably, that was another example of the nervous energy probably too. He, he had almost too much zip on those passes. He has underrated athleticism. He has really good straight line speed. Trevor Lawrence level. Yes, that may be hard for some of you to believe, but he is a bigger guy like Trevor Lawrence and he mm-hmm. moved really well. He was also two of five throwing the football. So... <laughs> Uh, to say yeah, two of those passes could have been caught on the goal line tray and they went for it on fourth and five or whatever it was fourth and goal from the five. I mean, Sark was Sark was, a uh, that was all gas, no breaks at the end there. He was, and I don't think anybody took it the wrong way, but he was, he was not trying to err on the side of sportsmanship. That's well, sure. he he was still, for the most part, he was still running until they needed to throw it, but they were clearly trying to pick up first down still, and he needed to get Arch a couple of throws. So I don't think Sark went about that in an unprofessional manner at all. Like, I, th- I still think that they were running it a whole lot more than they were having Arch throw it, and he was able to pick up a couple of first downs with his legs, had a couple of other nice throws. Boy, that completion to uh, Jonte Cook was... A lot of fun. Maybe uh, more of that to be expected in the coming years. And well, then you got to see what Jonte can do too, which we, we've seen a little bit. I mean, we saw the big play made in the spring game, and he's yeah, caught a couple I, passes this year. Yeah, not enough, unfortunately. But hey, it's uh, he's got to wait his turn. And there are three really talented guys in front of him now. It's also great to see Jordan Whittington have uh, a couple of really nice moments in his final game at DKR too, including that touchdown catch. Man, and and he. Uh, the the block on Keelan Robinson's touchdown. Mm. I mean, those are the things that we talked about it last week. We talked about it the week before when he stripped when he stripped the TCU guy who, who intercepted the pass. But it's just you know it it is cool. It was it, it was a cool senior night overall. I felt like all those guys kind of had their moments. Um, you know, Tavondre Sweat he had a big play too. Uh, you saw Jet Bush with the pick six. Keelan pick Robinson six. two touchdowns on senior night. Guys that Sark has talked about with with the way the, the, the timeline, <clears throat> excuse me, of his tenure here, those guys that stuck around, those guys that still believed after everything they'd been through before with coaching change with Herman and and also Sark sticking with them too, both sides sticking with each other. He he talked a lot about that. And you don't really see Sark get emotional, but I feel like it was more uh maybe vulnerables, <clears throat> the right word that than you normally see with him with the media of just how fired up he was for those guys and how thankful he was for those guys. He said it on the record and the locker room speech that they put out um, and to the media, he said multiple times, I owe everything to those guys. His coaching staff owes, owes everything to you. 
the younger players. And that's what makes me think that this isn't just a, you know, one year wonder for Texas because while Texas didn't have this with Herman in the 2018 season, it still was a 10 win season. It was a season where you went to the sugar bowl and you beat a Georgia team that was, I guess, one spot from playing for the national championship or playing for the college football playoff. So you kind of felt like, you, you know, they had it turning right there and then it slipped away those next two years. It's that, it's that type of culture and those type of seniors and then the younger guys buying in and just, it feels like, it feels like everything and everyone is rowing in the right direction right now with this program. It just, it just feels different. It does. I'm going to caution people to expect too much in year one of the SEC, though, because this is a program that while it's heading in the right direction, it may be one of those two steps forward, one step back sort of uh, years of progress because they lose a lot of talent off the roster this year, especially with Byron Murphy announcing that he's competing in the Reese's Senior Bowl over the weekend after the Tech game. Like There was a thought that he might come back to be a part of that defensive line. Now you're hoping Alfred Collins can be the guy. Vernon Broughton, I mean, on the defensive line, you're confident that there's enough depth there that there won't be that big of a drop-off, but they're about to lose their top four receivers in the passing game with Worthy, Mitchell, JT Sanders, all likely to go pro. Jordan Whittington's gone, of course. Jonathan Brooks is going to be coming back from a serious knee injury, but you feel pretty good about the running back room. Quinn, it's up in the air right now. I keep hearing more about him coming back for one more season just to try and get into a quarterback class that isn't quite as deep as the class of 24 class is going to be. But they lose a right tackle. That's that's and risky too, Trey. Like for That's risky for him to come back. It may be a little bit risky, yeah. They're, they lose Jalen Ford, obviously, in that linebacker room. We know how big he's been over the last couple of years. So... Uh, there's going to be a reload that happens. So this is a Texas team that uh, may struggle a little bit more than we'd like to see at the start of the year, but you'd like to think because the culture is in good place. Now you always hate to make Alabama comparisons because there is only one Alabama, but it's like what we've seen out of Alabama this year. There was some uncertainty early on, but now they're playing really good football and they've got, they've worked their way back into the conversation for the college football playoff. Like that's and what next- Texas for next year and them continuing to recruit well and them handling the transfer portal as well as they have uh, can help out with certain shortcomings. But the reality is, is that you're losing a lot of talent off of this year's team when it's all said and done. Yeah. And Jake, Jake makes a good, good point right there just now in the comments with the, with the schedule where I totally agree with what you're saying, Trey, it's going to be a reload where maybe we don't see this team come out dominant right out the gates or like what Texas did this year where, you know, you go, you go beat a cupcake in week one, and then you go make a massive statement in week two. It may, it may not be a team that's ready to do that right off the bat, but, I mean, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Florida, Arkansas, and A&M, I know they also play Georgia in there too. Yeah, I, thought they, I thought they played Georgia. I was going to the but, future schedule right now. But to his point, those are five extremely winnable games, you would yeah. like to think. I mean, that's an Arkansas team that should fire their coach but doesn't look like they're going to. An A&M team with a first-year coach who's going to lose a ton of guys to the portal. Uh, uh, honestly, what I said about Arkansas, you could say the same for Florida, a team that didn't even go to a bowl game this year. Uh, Kentucky, they're a good program of stoops. And then Mississippi State, who 
I think is five and seven this year, and we'll be breaking in a new coach as well. So Jeff you can't, Levy, what a bizarre hire for them. Jeff it, it, Levy, has the Oklahoma offense impressed anybody enough that Jeff Levy should be coaching anywhere, much less an SEC school? I mean, if you look, Gabriel put up pretty big numbers this year. Okay. But but yeah, it felt like a lot of empty calories, maybe, or empty yards, empty performances like that. Now, you know, their defense, while better than last year, wasn't wasn't up to a Brent Venables defense just yet. They're a team that I think could be could be scary next year. I think we could see a similar jump that from OU that Texas is making now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But to your point about the roster, Trey, of next year of reloading and guys that they're, that they're probably going to lose, or there's a lot of guys they're definitely going to lose. Think about this, though. And I feel like we, when we saw Jonathan Brooks start to break out, we just kind of stopped talking about this. They lost Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. They lost a, a top 10 pick, another NFL running back in Roshan. And in Roshan also, I don't even want to say probably, I think inarguably the best leader on the offensive side of the ball. And they're 11 and one this year. Because I think just maybe in areas where, and, and that's where you see these top recruiting classes continue to stack and the, the, the benefits of that and the fruits of their labor on the recruiting trail and the way they've been able to develop players. I mean, the player development thing is one of those that's people always talk about, but we're finally seeing it now on the field of developing these guys and now having, having a guy like Jonathan Brooks ready to step in in his third year with almost no meaningful experience the first two years and immediately play. I mean, CJ Baxter, not every guy's like CJ Baxter where he's going to enroll in June and then come in and be ready to play meaningful snaps and basically carry half the load or a quarter of the load in the running back room, you know, as a 18 year old true freshman who's been in college for three months, but you get a couple guys like that. Now, I mean, I think Jonte cook has shown me enough to think that he can come in and immediately be a really, really productive receiver. And Sark's shown you this year, like they don't, I don't think they're going to have a thousand yard receiver unless I think unless Xavier Worthy goes crazy in the in the uh I mean in the Big 12 championship game or in the bowl game or both, they might not have a thousand yard receiver. I believe he's at 800 something right now. So Sark's shown you that he's adaptable enough with the talent around him to move the scheme to what their you know what their strengths are. Like last year was first year starter with Quinn Ewers, the running game is the strength, you know, and then you break in new running backs, but then this year, you know, you've got a more experienced quarterback and a really good receiver room. Now the receiver room is the strength of this offense. So that that's what gives me hope for Texas next year, that they can continue this momentum without, without a huge drop off. I mean, I saw somebody put nine and three in there, but again, nine and three, nine and three in the sec in a 12 team playoff could feasibly get you in anywhere from nine to 12. Yeah. They play, your losses are. they play at Michigan week two, which Michigan they, should, they should cancel that game. I'm, I'm not going to lie because now it's like did this Alabama losses or win is helping them, but I, I don't know. 
That, that, that's uh, another conversation. Michigan, keep the Michigan game. Michigan loses a lot off of this year's yes. um, roster, too. They play Oklahoma at Arkansas, which Arkansas hasn't been great this year, but we've seen Texas go into Fayetteville recently and get their asses kicked because they weren't quite ready for that game. Uh, they play Florida DKR, not worried about that one. Georgia's a DKR, so maybe that game works to your advantage. And the AM game is at Kyle Field. So I know we, I know, no, we're not taking, and most importantly, the coaches and players aren't going to take any of these moments for granted. But even if AM is down right now, we can't take for granted the resumption of a rivalry and that rivalry resuming at their place, despite the fact that the most recent game was also played in College Station, too. So, look, nine and three, I'm not saying sign me up right now because there's a long ways to go to know what this team is even going to look like next season. But nine and three feels realistic, and it, but it also feels like the season could be worse than that. And there's an outside shot that the season could be better, too. You just you just have to be ready for a, a variety of possibilities. Hear me out on that Michigan game, though. Okay. Texas goes to Alabama week two this year. Everyone's saying they've, you know, they've got the best win in college football right now. Yet everyone is also saying, oh, it's week two. Oh, my God. Oh, it's week two. Like, so you go and you can, you could not have asked for a better result from that game. You beat Alabama in their stadium, which never happens by double freaking digits. And all that's happening right now in the playoff conversation is, well, it was two. I'm not saying it won't end up helping them if they get the chaos this week. It's well, it was week two. It's week two. Like, so what's the point of playing these games? It just drives me crazy when people just discredit, like people almost want to discredit that win and make it like, make it like, like it's almost better for Alabama that they lost in week two and then got better than it is for Texas that they won in week two by double digits in Tuscaloosa. Like the the absolute lack of logic in college football makes me want to punch a wall sometimes. I have been saying all along to take the polls with a large grain of salt, but yesterday, because I think that's when I saw the AP poll for the first time, is, is the first time that I got a little bit upset with what I saw on the poll. With fucking Ohio State still being ranked ahead of Texas. Yes. Like fucking bullshit. Like you could get away with saying that they had the two best wins of anybody this year up until like a month ago but Notre Dame and Penn State have both come back to earth in their own ways Penn State is still not a team that you have any confidence in in a big game they have proven it once again this year against both Ohio State and Michigan and Notre Dame you know they've they've studied things a little bit but they've also not been a top 10 top 15 team for much of the year either so those wins don't matter nearly as much now. And the game that matters most to them, they got their asses kicked. Like that has to matter for something. Even if Michigan is one of the two or three best teams in the country, the fact that they weren't in that game in the end and Texas goes in and does something that nobody has in the Nick Saban era in Tuscaloosa, like you can't be that short-sighted, that prisoner right. of a moment now. I will say that while also completely understanding why Oregon is ranked ahead of Texas right now. Because Oregon, although their strength of schedule is not as good as Texas, I believe, they've been playing really good ball over the last four to six weeks now. They kicked their rival's ass again this last weekend. And I know there's a conversation as to whether or not 
Uh, Oregon State knew that their head coach was about to leave, and that led to a bit of a letdown. Oregon State had played some emotional games in the previous weeks against ranked competition, including a two-point loss to Washington the week before. So uh, I don't want people to discredit Oregon State too much, but Oregon has looked really good. Like They're up there with Georgia, Michigan, and maybe Alabama in terms of the teams that look like they're playing the best ball right now. The Ohio State being ranked ahead of Texas thing is inexcusable to me. And I hope the playoff committee is wise enough to see these other polls and say, you know what? This is bullshit. We can rank things the way that we want to here. And Texas deserves to be ahead of Ohio State. Yeah. And this is this is why I'm most excited for the 12-team playoff. Because Absolutely. while while it eliminates some of the fodder that we're getting right now with, you know, oh, X team needs B team, C team, and D team to win, lose, or whatever, you know, or win by 20. Like it takes some of that out of it. But yeah. I also think that's a good thing. Even if it's going to take some of the suspense out, at least we're not having these conversations of like, it, it won't matter that, that Ohio state six and Texas is seven. I mean, it might in terms of seating and different things like that, but it'll, it'll take some of the lack of logic out of it because Trey, that's what I that like to your point, and it seems like you're the same way. And I, I agree with that example too of Ohio State being over Texas. When I I struggle with even considering any opinion or nonsense that's spewed sometimes in sports, when it just completely lacks any roots of reality or any logic. And it's just like in in what world does Ohio State have a better resume than Texas? You know. <laughs> They don't like Oregon. I think you could make the argument. You could give me every, you give me every strength of schedule metric and those kind of things with them. But people are also, what people are also doing with Oregon right now is they're essentially assuming that like, I think when the committee ranks them the way they do, they're basically assuming that they think they're going to beat Washington by two touchdowns. And that's kind of what Vegas thinks. I mean, that's a nine and a half point spread. I was shocked when I saw that. I was not I was not shocked that Oregon was favored, but I think that's what a lot of the committee's doing too, is they're kind of just like prognosticating the results of what they think are going to happen in some of these games. Like they probably think Texas will beat Oklahoma State by 10. Their resume will be what it is, but then Oregon will beat the crap out of Washington, avenge their only loss, be a 12 and 1 Pac-12 champ, playing unbelievable football. Yeah. Yeah, I think Washington keeps it within the uh, nine and a half that Vegas has it at right now. I do think Oregon wins that game, but I think there's going to be some pride that kicks in for Washington too, even though they uh, have not been this electric offense for much of the last, really since the Oregon game. They've, they've had a couple of moments here and there. Was one of those against USC? That doesn't really count. And that's another thing about these schedules is that the Pac-12 looked like it was far and away the best conference heading into conference play, three, four games in the season. Those things have a way of leveling themselves out too. In Washington State, which looked like they were going to have some say-so in a Pac-12 title, they weren't that good this year. Oregon State remained pretty good. Oregon, Washington obviously remained good. USC, they completely crumbled back down to earth, as you and I have talked about, because you're a Trojans fan. Utah, them not having uh, rising, Cam rising in at quarterback, which he may come back for a seventh year next year. Oh, he is. He announced it. I mean, he. yeah, we'll see if he's at Utah, though. He may end up going someplace else before it's all said and done. 
Uh, Utah not having much semblance of an offense. That eventually caught up with them, too, although they had a nice uh, rebound last week. Arizona turned into a surprise team in the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 was, they had good and bad teams, much like pretty much every other conference did this year. Now, I will still admit that the Big 12 was down this season. The Big 12 is one of the worst years for the Big 12 in a while. It's unfortunate or maybe poetic that that was the case with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the conference after this season. But the SEC turned out to be pretty darn good. The Big 10 is top heavy, I would say. They have a couple of really good teams at the top and then a whole lot of mediocrity after that. And uh, the Pac-12 may still be one of the, the two best conferences in the country, but I think there's a, there's a conversation to be had about that. And then you have the ACC, of course, which Florida State and Louisville are going to be playing for that conference championship uh, here coming up this weekend with Clemson actually getting its shit together a little bit in the second half of the season to give their fan base some hope that Dabo is getting things going in the right direction once again in Death Valley. Yeah, I I think I still think the Pac-12 is pretty damn good league. Like, I, I think that turned out, yeah, you, you kind of, you could swap Washington State and Arizona, to your point, you know, and talk about that that job at Arizona. I mean, Jed Fish has done a great job. Uh, I mean, Noah Fafita came out of nowhere during that SC game, and they almost upset, up, upset them at the Coliseum, and that would have been a heck of a win. I still think they finished eight and four. I mean, look, or nine and three. I mean, so you have you have basically two top 10 teams, arguably two top five teams or top eight teams, if you will. And then you have Arizona and Oregon State, nine or nine and three Arizona, eight and four Oregon State, eight and four Utah, SC seven and five. I know I'm biased, but they fell off a cliff at the end. No one no one would sign up to go play to go play USC and Caleb Williams. Like I don't care how bad that defense is, like you would not sign up to go play. The reigning I'm trying not to go winner. play him right now, but I also don't think Caleb Williams is playing another game. As a <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd sign up to go play him in the bowl game, maybe. <laughs> but just in terms of our rosters are healthy and no one's, you know, load managing or sitting out a bowl game to get ready for the draft. So I, I think that I think that is what Texas might have going against them if it's if it's 12 and one Texas versus 12 and one Oregon. And I see people. I see people doing the common opponent thing with Texas tech and that's, I mean, I know I just went on my rant about people saying Texas's win was in week two, but like they played, they played tech on the road in week two guys. Like, and they, and they, and they won the game, you know, (laughs) I mean, you know, I I don't, I don't know if, if that's what I'm going to break down the entire season to because Texas fans wouldn't want them Texas fans, I guarantee you, would not want their their schedule nitpicked like that. Oh, you only beat Houston 34 27 and mid bowl game fire their coach. Like you know, you all of a sudden you don't like that very much now. So, you know, you could that's that's the fun part of it. Like I said, that we're gonna lose a little bit, which I think is fine, but yeah, let's enjoy the just kind of nonsensical conversations, I guess, that that we have with some of these some of this resume nitpicking. Yeah, gosh, I'm just looking at the AP top 25 right now. James Madison at 24, Toledo at 23. This would be a much more fun conversation, Jeff, to the point you made a few minutes ago. If we were bickering about 11 through 14 versus yes. having to argue who the fourth best team in college football was. Like if there was ever a year to expand the playoff, because as BK said last hour, there are some years where you're like, are there even four teams that are <laughs> worth being given a shot for a, a national championship? one of those years because everybody has at least one flaw 
that uh, it, it seems like uh, going with an 18 playoff this year wouldn't be the end of the world. Well, so, I, I, I think with Alabama facing who was number one last week. It was Georgia again, right? Alabama and Georgia squaring off, assuming the SEC championship game doesn't happen, them squaring off in the first round and Texas and uh, Michigan squaring off in the first rounds, Washington and freaking Ohio State, Oregon and Florida State. It'd be a lot of fun, man. That's a lot of big brands too, isn't it? Well, Trey, I'll I'll go I'll go glass half full here. If you're a Longhorn fan, you can look at it this way. Probably going to go twelve and one conference champion. Probably not going to get into the playoff, which is a total bummer because, like you're saying, what a year for it to be eight teams, twelve teams. What a year for it to just be beyond four, six teams. However, it would work out, you know. But you you could also look at it to what we were just talking about a couple minutes ago. If nine and three is a great season next year, you know, considering everything they're losing or or it's a good season or 10 and two, well, that's probably going to be good enough to get you in, depending on what your losses and your wins and your losses are, as long as there's not like a loss to four and eight Mississippi State or something like that in there. You know, if your losses are to Georgia, um, I don't know, insert two other Michigan on the road and insert one other respectable loss and you finished six and two in the sec and you know how to win over ou or how to win over you know a couple other really good teams that's going to be good enough to probably slide you in 10 11 or 12 and maybe even nine depending on the other teams so i think i think that's a that's a way to look at it and i, and I see you know i, I see daryl uh, a big big 12 title and a new Year's six bowl game is all i want it's gonna again i, I, I totally agree with that but I also I also can empathize with Texas fans who are going to be disappointed when they go 12 and one win the conference and get left out. But that's just probably what's going to happen. I think last year or last week I said it too. I think this week I think people really need to start emotionally preparing themselves for 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 that for Texas to be like number six. Because look, if Florida State gets in, as much as that's a complete waste of time, it is a complete waste of everyone's time to have Florida State go play. Uh, Georgia in in that playoff game, which which I'm assuming would would be the Sugar Bowl in the semifinal, like they would be like a 12 to 14 point underdog in that game, especially with their backup quarterback. But look, if they go 13 and 0 and they do win those last two games and a conference championship over a two loss conference foe in that in that title game, like you gotta put them in, man. <laughs> like yeah. I just it it sucks, but I don't know. I well, think you have the Texas schedule too, Jeff. Like, obviously, the Alabama win is huge, but you only played one other team that was ranked in the top 12 at the time that you played them, and you lost to Oklahoma. All the, your wins over ranked opponents this year are with teams that were just tinkering with being in the top 25. Yeah. Kansas, Kansas State, even Oklahoma State this weekend. They're number 19, so that's going to help a little bit, but – uh, this is just a, a bad year to be really good in the Big 12, I guess, when you're talking about comparing your resume to other schools. But if you're a Texas fan right now, there are very clear things that you need to root for this weekend. You need to root for Florida State to lose to Louisville, one. You have to root for Alabama to lose to Georgia. I'm sorry, but you do, because I yeah. could 100% foresee a scenario where Alabama gets uh, beats Georgia and both those teams make it into the playoff and Texas doesn't, oh. and that would really sting. I think the Ohio State thing will take care of itself, so I'm not worried about that. Um, so you can't oh, root Iowa over Michigan, but that's not going to happen. So just accept that Michigan's in. 
And you need to hope that I think the the greatest hope in the, in terms of the Pac-12 title game is Washington beats Oregon. But I think even if Oregon beats Washington, you'll still see Texas leapfrog the Huskies when it's all said and done. But that's not guaranteed. And that, that scenario worries me a little bit. So you probably do need to root for the Huskies in that game. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I, I don't think you want any – you don't want any scenario where they're then going to go, well, Washington lost on a walk-off kick by one, you know, and then then it becomes – like I, I really don't think – I don't think Ohio State is a factor in this at all. I really don't. I, I don't either, and we'll we'll get some clarification on that tomorrow. But if Texas is behind Ohio State tomorrow, all of a sudden I do get a little bit worried. Yeah, well, and, and Jake here says if there's any common sense, which is what I've been losing my mind about, there's no way a P5 champ gets left out. But but I think there there is. I mean, because there's only four spots, you know. Right. So, Alabama beating Georgia is a no brainer to me. As much as I hate to admit that Georgia and Alabama would both get in at that point. Okay. But also it's actually pretty feasible the way that that would happen. And I, I agree. If we're going to put any, if we're going to have conference championship games, they should have an emphasis. There should be a bigger emphasis on them, or at least maybe a better way of putting it is it shouldn't hurt you to go play in that game. I think that's what I've always struggled with these conference championship games is like, if it, if it really hurts you, to go play in that, then kind of get rid of them. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. That's going to take effect next year, obviously, when you have the expanded playoff and you have the guaranteed spots for the top-ranked conference champions, like the five top-ranked conference champions, I think is what they've settled on, or maybe they haven't quite settled on that just yet. But for right now, it's not realistic because you only have four slots, and you have a power five, and then you have the group of five who – clamor for their chance to compete for a national championship too, which is a little bit ridiculous, but I also understand where they're coming from. Oh man. If we, I'm just dreading, like after all this, it's going to be Texas versus Liberty in the cotton bowl. <laughs> like, like what a letdown that would be. That's going to be fucking miserable. If that happens, I was like, hoping that we might get back to the sugar bowl this year. Because some years the Big 12 plays in the Sugar Bowl, but the Sugar Bowl is one of the well, semifinal games. So the only way that we make it is if we're in the semifinal. Right. And even then it might be the Rose Bowl and not the Sugar Bowl. Well, and, and back to the Power 5 champs getting left out, a, a very likely possibility in all this, Georgia, like I don't think Alabama is going to beat Georgia. Like I've said that all along. I've said people I think are exerting almost too much energy on that because I just don't think that's going to happen. Hmm. So... Georgia beats Alabama. You're, yeah, the undefeated SEC champ's going to be number one. Michigan's a 23-point favorite over Iowa. Undefeated Big Ten champ. Let's say, I know they're almost a 10-point dog. Washington wins. They're undefeated Pac-12 champ. They're the obvious three. Florida State ekes out another win and goes undefeated. They're 13-0 ACC champ. I mean, that's, I mean, there's, you have four undefeateds right there. That, that actually is probably the committee's dream scenario for that to happen. Cause then it takes, it, then it, it just takes all it's, they don't have to make a decision at that point. The only yeah. decision they really have to make is do we put in Florida state with their backup quarterback? And I think the obvious answer to that is yes. You if do. they finish undefeated, you can't leave them out. No, you cannot leave them out. No, because, and, and if you're anybody else, if you're Texas, if you're Oregon, if you're Ohio state, whatever one loss team that thinks they have a case, you would look at that and go, if that was us, we would be lighting the world on fire if we got left out after going 13-0 with our backup quarterback. 
I mean, shit, Ohio State of all teams would be the one that would understand that. They won they won the championship with a backup quarterback. Cornell Jones, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they would be the one team that would say, Yeah, we actually turned that into a national championship. We proved that if you have the right team around you and a guy that can play above his level for a couple of games, or maybe not above his level. I mean, he ended up playing in the NFL for a bit. Like we just didn't know about him at the time. So if Florida State wins this weekend and Oregon beats Washington, and let's say Alabama beats Georgia, you think the four would be Florida State, or I'm sorry, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama, and Georgia. Oh, you said Alabama beats Georgia? Yeah. Oh, makes me want to puke. I know. I mean, that, gosh. As much as much dumb shit that comes out of that boardroom with the committee, like I do not, I do not envy them if that's the case. And you got to pick four teams. Well, they they do dumb shit when the polls don't matter as much to try and incite conversation. They true, they don't always get it right, in my opinion. But they do a better job more years than not. But they also don't have a level of debate this nuanced most years either. You really do have so many worthy teams this year. Like, yeah. I mean, we were we were talking about that in the sports office last night with Bob. It was like, there are so many teams. Like, you could basically pick any of the top seven teams and and make a make a reasonable case. Mm-hmm. Like, you really could make a reasonable case for all of them. You know, like I know I said Ohio State's a non-factor. You could even make like a. I, I wouldn't totally buy it, but you could make an argument just Ohio State by themselves that that that's and I know it's case by case circumstances are different every single year, but the the biggest issue for Texas and Ohio State anybody else trying to sneak in there is there's just been no chaos this year. We yeah. and Saturday was where we finally thought the chaos was going to happen. We like we thought Alabama was going to get eliminated and everything. Everything just went, I don't want to say went against Texas, but Texas just didn't get any of the help that they needed. I mean, it looked like you looked like you were just going to eliminate Alabama altogether, which I'm not saying needed to happen because I think George is going to do that now. So it could have just kicked the can down the road, but it could have just, it could have just eliminated Alabama off the bat. Florida, I mean, Florida was, had Florida State on the ropes. They could have eliminated them. Um, and then, I mean, you can't really say Oregon, Oregon State. Like that game was never close. But yeah, Texas just didn't get any of the help they needed. <laughs> if you were laying out the pass, you more would happen up to this point. Like you knew Michigan or Ohio State would lose that game, and that would take care of one team. But shit, that hasn't even taken care of one team. At least in the AP and coaches polls, you have to pray that the college football playoff committee is smarter than that. But these other yahoos kept Ohio State ahead of Texas. Uh. And I see what this is unrelated, but we had a great conversation about this last week. And you said you were going to take it to the newsroom. Did you take the tip you're made at the end of a hotel stay to the newsroom? And if so, what was the consensus? I I did not yet difficult with it, with it being a holiday week. You know, I want to make sure we're, I want to make sure we're, we're giving everybody a chance to vote here that it's a true democracy full strength on this topic. (laughs) Uh, But I will, I will absolutely report back. When I, when I'm able to do that. Cause I continue the conversation. Like, am I in the wrong here? Am I over tipping? And it was pretty split. 
Okay, Trey, you, you, first of all, you could never be in the wrong over tipping. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that would ever be wrong. I just think the only wrong would be assuming that everyone should do that. That would, that would be the only thing that I would say is not even wrong, but just that I would differ on. Like, I, if you want to do that, if you, like, if somebody wants to go out and tip 35%, you know, every time they go to a restaurant and the service is mediocre or better, then you're welcome to do that. But as long as you're comfortable throwing throwing out that money, I you know I don't think that I don't think that's wrong. You're doing something very nice for somebody. I think it's in the wrong if you start to shatter the paradigm of service that needs to be tipped. Well, like, yeah, and it's I'm, wrong. It's wrong if you then judge everybody else for not doing that. If I'm throwing forty percent on my oil change, oh yeah, to the uh, the gentleman. As they used to call them, grease monkeys, but that's not uh, that's a demeaning <laughs> term. Say the gentleman who uh, who helps keep my car running properly. If I'm throwing him forty percent of what the oil change cost is, that's probably a step too far with the tipping. And at that point, he may start to expect others to tip him as well, and that's not happening. Which I guess is which I guess is still kind of what. I was saying last week where the newsroom people were coming after me for not tipping when I go to Starbucks and somebody pours me a black coffee. I'm like, come on, man. You're that's already charging like $3 for that for black coffee. And again, maybe, maybe that's my fault for not just making coffee at my house, but I really like Starbucks coffee. And I like the, the vibe and the mood and feeling of going to a coffee shop. I don't know. There's something that makes me feel good about going to a coffee shop, getting a cup of coffee, sitting down, either chilling, meeting somebody, uh, getting some work done, listening to a podcast. Like, I just like the vibe there. But that doesn't mean that just because I, I go do that and I'm willing to every once in a while pay three bucks for a cup of black coffee means that I need to throw a freaking dollar on the bill every single time. Like, like I'm not an asshole for that. And you know what? Somebody else would probably reply back. If you have to yell at Trey that you're not an asshole about it, then you're probably an asshole. <laughs> and you know what? That's a fair point. <laughs> okay. So my retort to that, because I order cold brews when I go places and that just requires them to get a pitcher out of the fridge and pour the cold brew into the cup and then throw some ice in there. Also, that's not a lot of work either, but it required work leading up to that point that we, that is not necessarily in front of our faces. Yeah, that's fair, but and it is a customer service. Like it's it's uh serving somebody food or beverages. I don't know. There's a gray area there. Well, I understand if you're just getting a black coffee. So you to, know, there are people who ask for lattes, which is requiring them to do yes. work in front of your face, who are also not tipping. Those people are the assholes. You're not yes. the asshole. You're you're uh you're in a gray area, and you're choosing not to tip in that gray area. And where I exactly what you just said that I do tip in that situation because we love to go to lamppost coffee take the family down to lamppost coffee which is the it's a downtown coffee shop here in hutto hmm. downtown you know <laughs> but the little like town area and we go there and i order my regular coffee and jasmine will get a fancy latte she'll doesn't get in in the to-go cup they're putting like the leaf looking thing on it with the foam jace gets a smoothie and I tip for that because they just made two drinks and there was presentation involved and all those things. So that I will tip a couple bucks for. 
Okay, I'm glad you mentioned Hutto because I had forgotten that you live in Hutto. We drove through Hutto to and from Thanksgiving and College Station this year. Holy shit, Hutto. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's uh, it's getting pretty close to 2023, Jeff. Hutto with what's happening in Hutto right now. Hutto is really with the times. That downtown area looked adorable. I want to stop at Lamp Post Coffee to, to get myself a cold brew or something else. Hey, it's very good. Um, not not too late, Trey, for you to sell the mansion in your hood and come out here get you a nice get you a nice plot of land. Yeah, I need to do that before that uh, that uh, Samsung plant opens up because my goodness, that looks like downtown Beijing right now with all the crane <laughs> over in that area. And well, I out of construction, so they're throwing that up. Once that happens, it's over with for you guys. You're going to be in a you're going to be in a crowded community just like the rest of us are here in Central Texas. So I got teased. I got teased quite a bit when I moved to Hutto because I think, you know, more not people teasing us for, you know, making what I think is the wise decision to plant roots in Central Texas and buy a piece of property. No one gave us, no one teased us about that, but just that, that I'm a city guy, see the Dodgers hat. I mean, I lived most of the time I lived here when I first got here after college was I was downtown. When we first moved in together as a family, we lived in North Austin while people say, say what they will about the domain compared to Hutto, it's very urban. <laughs> so I got, I got teased a bunch about that. And I don't think those people realized until they came out and visited us. Like you see some fields and farm and that kind of stuff when you come out to our house, but they had the same reaction as you Trey, when they came in on 79, I mean, they just built an Academy. They're building an Evo right now. They're building a Chewy's They're they're building a Jack Allen's kitchen. I mean, there's like all kinds of things that, that are popping up. We live right by the ninth grade center, which is going to be the second high school. So mm. anyway, I say all that to say that Hutto is just kind of like the next spot. I mean, I don't know how close you are. You're pro- I mean, you're close to Leander, I think. Leander yeah. is like, and you, it's going to be more expensive out there because you always get a little more of like the hill country adjacent kind of vibes. And the, I mean, I admit like we're out here in, flat farmland like over where you guys are at there's trees and hills and all that stuff mm-hmm. that makes it a little nicer people are it's a little more desirable but like i think from a development standpoint hutto is going to be what like um you know leander was maybe or is now what leander was 15 20 years ago maybe completely agreed maybe even more like five or ten too because that's that's coming fast that once the gigafactory is built the land around you guys is just going to skyrocket. Like nothing's going to be affordable anymore. So you'll be glad that you caught on what you did. By the way, the second high school, as we bring Tristan Nicholson on, the uh, the second high school has a lot of pressure in terms of what the mascot ends up being since Hutto High School has the hippos. That is a strong mascot. So whatever uh, Hutto B or Hutto High School 2 is, they've got to come strong with the, with their new mascot name. Yeah, you, you, you can't just be like, you can't have the Hutto Hippos, which they're famous for, obviously, and then have like the Hutto Wildcats or something. I don't know, maybe like, maybe they could go like Rhinos. 
or something like that. It doesn't really doesn't really flow like Hutto hippos, but but you got to go something unique for sure. That's not the worst. Rhinos is better than Warriors. I was just thinking two two uh, mascots that would like meet out in the wild, like a hippo versus something else. Tristan is thinking like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Well, now I'm gonna have to go to Twitter and see hippo fights and see what comes up. So, <laughs> I. Tristan, what's going on? What's going on, guys? How are you? Good. How was your good man. What's that? How was your Thanksgivings? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Had a tur- turkey was great. All all the fixins. You guys have a good Thanksgiving? We did. We did. Yeah. Had had green bean casserole. It was fantastic. Excellent. Uh, I am seeing Huddos fight lions and gators. And that's about it right now. So those are your those are your options on Twitter. Uh, yeah, it was a good Thanksgiving, Tristan. Glad you had a good one too. And uh, we got uh, an extra heaping of dessert on the Friday after Thanksgiving with the absolute beatdown that the Longhorns put on Texas Tech. Not too surprising to any of us, but after the fact, it was interesting to hear Texas players talk about how they did have those Brett Yormark comments playing on loop uh, loop in the week leading up to that game. Um, great teams, great individual performances are often fueled by a uh, level of disdain for the competition. That was one of the great lessons extracted from the Michael Jordan docuseries, The Last Dance. And uh, this Texas Longhorn team was no different when it was all said and done. Uh, choosing to remain politically correct when addressing your Mark's preseason comments while using that as fuel to have their most uh, complete performance, not just this year, Tristan, but really going back several years now, too. Yeah, Trey, you're right. I mean, it, it felt like this game specifically was was kind of what we were hoping for all season uh, when it comes to playing some of these lesser talented Big 12 teams, right? Um, Texas Tech is kind of always perennial, perennially that, that underdog, but, you know, even in like the Houston game, uh, you, you feel like they should have this type of performance because it, it was uh, – uh, across the board from all three phases of the game, uh, just a, a fantastic game. Um, so it was nice to see that, especially against a, uh, a an opponent that I don't think anybody likes. Tristan, wh- wh- whether it be the uh, your mark comments that, that Trey was talking about or something that happened on the field, the Jet Bush pick six, I don't know, the, the, the Jaden Blue touchdown run, did you have a favorite moment from the game? Uh, that pick six was awesome, man. Uh, I remember watching that live and just uh, in bewilderment, right? Because it just came right off of his foot, and I thought the play was dead, and then he kept running. Uh, so that was just one of those those, those cherry-on-the-top moments. But I, I think from the start of the game, they, they looked great offensively. They were able to move the ball. Uh, they ran really well. They got the, the ball into their playmaker's hands, which even with Xavier Worthy being out, you know, uh, in and out, back on and off, right? And that dude's a trooper. Um, it, they, they were able to find uh, all their tools. So it looked like a complete game offensively. Obviously, the defense looked phenomenal, like they have most of the season, right? Um, but no, it was just a complete game. And, and like I said, cherry on the top to the, the final Big 12 season for, for Texas. What did you make of Arch Manning's debut for the Longhorns, Tristan? Kids quit. 
I wasn't expecting that. I look, guys. I'll, I'll full transparency. I it's been a while since I like really followed the team, right? So I, you know, obviously I knew the the Archie Manning hype, and I was hoping, but I didn't watch him all off season, right? I'm not like you guys in, in, the, in the media markets. Like you got to watch these guys all, all day, every day, right? Especially in the off season. So this was really my first eye. I didn't even see the spring game. Um, and so this was really my first eyes on him, and he looks fantastic. I mean, he looks quick. I would have liked to see uh, a couple more throws, right? Just like everybody, the whole crowd got – I mean, that was the most excited I'd seen him since Alabama. Uh, it was crazy seeing Archie walk out there, but uh, I thought he threw the ball really, really tight, um, a couple of incompletions, but I thought it looked good. I have never heard the crowd react like that. I mean, obviously I've heard it louder than yeah, that maybe, sure. but, but it was just, it was just insane the way that everyone, I was telling Trey about it earlier. Everyone was just kind of like nudging each other. Like, like he's throwing Quinn doesn't have his helmet. Like, Oh my gosh, he's going in. And they just cool. lost their minds. He, it, it all, it felt so alpha. He was just like, okay, guys, chill. I saw that a couple times, which, which like, was funny. I thought that was a very veteran move. Right. Um, seemed like a, a manning at work which was cool but uh <laughs> oh definitely yeah. i just wanted to get your thoughts on the run game too tristan i mean they didn't wasn't necessarily one of those games where it was you know they were just ripping off like chunks you know consistently obviously they had the big run but just the the versatility of this team's running back room i mean what can this do for them going forward now to get Jaden blue's confidence going and i mean Keelan Robinson got his confidence going, not necessarily in the traditional run game aspect, but um, this team now a couple games removed from Jonathan Brooks' serious injury. Your, you know, your thoughts on the way that they've moved forward. Yeah. I mean, like we said a couple weeks ago, next man up mentality, and, and they really have seemed to embody that. And I, I think it's got a lot to do with, with coaching and scheme and, and start building a really strong offensive game plan for, for these guys. Uh, and knowing every player is different, right? And so especially when you go from a, a C.J. Brooks and, and or a Jonathan Brooks, rather, level talent, right? And, and you've got to replace that in your game plan. Well, it's all about finding what that guy does really well. And, and it seems like this coaching staff has done a great job with, with plugging these guys with Jaden Blues, Avion Red, had a great game as well, right? Um, and, and so plugging those guys into the already existing game plan that your offense knows how to run, um, it seems to have worked out really well for them. So uh, I, it was great to watch. I, I wish, guys, the, the weekend, obviously, the, the holiday was really, really busy. What I wanted to do was break down that one long run that I, I think it was Jaden Blue had for the touchdown um, because mm -hmm. from an offensive line perspective, it was perfectly blocked. You could see where – all year where maybe one or two of these blocks were getting missed, like it, it dialed up perfect. They picked up a blitz on it. It was great. Um, but, but yeah, so it, 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 it was a fun game to watch. Tristan, uh, Christian Jones has been an unsung hero on this offensive line for a couple of seasons now. What do you like uh, when you watch him maneuver at that right tackle position? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's my position, right? So, like, I, I know a little bit of something about that. Um, you know, right tackle traditionally isn't isn't the flashy uh, position that the left tackle spot is, right? Um, and, and, and so you get less of that uh, superstar mentality, and it's much more you're usually the run side, trunk side. Um, uh, it's the unsung hero of the offensive line, right? Um, at least that's what I used to call it. Um, 
but but no, I, I think what this whole offensive line really, but especially at that right tackle spot, um, they've done a good job. I mean, they've had some penalties on and off throughout the season, some games where a couple of false starts here and there. Um, but as a unit, I think they've looked great. Um, and that right tackle spot, you know, how important it is, man, because if you don't have a good one of those, then, then you're screwed. Don't mean to bring up your bad memories of senior night in Texas Tech again, but what do you think it meant to those guys to – to have a 50-point win on senior night to get to the Big 12 championship game. And big picture, you know, for those guys, what they've meant to the program, but then also moving forward, what can this mm-hmm. do for for everybody, mm-hmm. just the momentum of keeping this, this train moving forward? Yeah, right. I mean, it puts the end cap on the season. You've done everything you can in terms of doing what you need to do, right? You, you start the – season with a game plan of we're going to go undefeated, right? Because to get to the national championship and do all these things that you want to do, you got to be undefeated. Obviously that that's playing out right now as we speak every weekend or not for me more weekends, unfortunately, but, but right. Like I think it's, it's proven to the start of the season, you, you start with this game plan, you got to go undefeated and you miss one throughout the year and you're able to, to cap it off and now go to the big 12 championship and you're right out the door I think it's there's a lot of storylines like we talked about last week that make it really special for for this senior group specifically. And I'm really glad for these guys that they got to go out on a win like this. Um, so now it's just about taking care of business. It's Oklahoma State, which I, I think is probably a tougher team than a lot of people would give credit for, just because of the weird losses and weird games that they've had this season. Um, but let's not forget this is the same team that beat Oklahoma earlier this month, right? Um, so. I think you've got to watch out for them. But, yeah, I think it's about this point getting into to Dallas, take care of business, and then probably enjoy a really cool bowl game experience. Unfortunately, I don't think a, a, a playoff experience. But that's still pretty cool. Trust me, from, from a player's point of view, uh, a, a big 12 championship ring the last year, year in the Big 12 and a, a cool-ass bowl game, um, that's still – a lot worth fighting for. Tristan, I was going to ask you for the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Oklahoma State memories, like personal Oklahoma State memories from any time that you face them. But I'm going to preface that by asking if you were a part of the team for the uh, absolute jobbing that occurred in one of Charlie's years where the refs were clearly operating on a vendetta. I was in the stands that day and was furious. Were you on the field that day too? Did we lose that game at the last second due to a Puna Ford defensive holding call? Something like that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Then, then if so, then yes. Um, I was. That was my very first time playing in a collegiate football game. Uh, well, not junior college, but at Texas at least. Um, that was the first opportunity I got, and I forget the guy's name. They had a defensive end that ended up playing a few years in the league, or maybe he's doing, like I said, I am not. don't recall the guy's name, but I remember it, it was a rude awakening for me into the world of Division One college football. Um, but, yeah, I was part of that team, unfortunately. For, unfortunately another, in that game, yeah, because it was a hack job by the refs, it felt like. Is there another memory that comes to mind with regards to playing Oklahoma State? Um, I'm trying to recall. I mean, we played them – I think I might have been injured the, the next two times we played him. So I think I only played him in that one game. But, I mean, again, my first college football game, right, um, first time getting into a game, um, I think we switched off series, me and one of the other tackles. It was the first – our first 
conference game that year. So I think it was one or two deep into the season. So it was really still early on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, they've always been tough and I, I've got a lot of, uh, admiration for, for their coaching staff. I know a lot of the guys that were there and then my offensive line coach, Joe Wickline at Texas had just come from Oklahoma state. So, um, there's a lot of, he had a lot of stories to tell from, from his time there. You, you mentioned earlier kind of the, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this Oklahoma state team this year, like almost lose to BYU, get crushed by UCF inexplicably, but then, you know, here they are nine and three playing for, and then also the loss of South Alabama earlier in the year from a, like if you're in the Texas locker room, how do you how do you handle that? I mean, do you how, how do you wipe that away, knowing that hey, we really should beat this team by a couple touchdowns, mm-hmm. but they're also capable of just pulling something out of their ass? Clearly, yeah, right. I mean, I, I think Texas has always had the the issue with playing down to its competition, right? We talked about that before, and so if I'm the coaching staff this week, I'm only showing highlights of that Oklahoma game, right? I'm only showing, hey, you guys lost to this team; they beat them. Um, here's what they did to do that. And and so hopefully that leaves that mentality. Oh, and they also did a pretty great job against Kansas earlier in the year, right? Put up a lot of points. So this is not a bad football team. They've had some bad games, but right. It's not like they're six and six Texas tech coming in there and you know, you should beat them a hundred percent. How do you do that? This is a team that's coming in or, or I guess, you know, you're going there, but it's really a home game for, it's a home game for both teams, but it feels like it's a home game for Texas, uh, at least. Uh, that that can absolutely beat you, and it's going to do their their best, right? I think at the beginning of the season, Oklahoma State fans were probably a bit upset that they didn't get one last shot at Texas, right? Not that they've ever been the big rivalry, but there's always a rivalry, right? You want to you want to beat somebody as they're going out the door, and so this is their opportunity. Um, so I think they can come in there and surprise Texas. Hopefully, they're not surprised though. Yeah, what better time to beat Texas once more than as the Longhorns are seemingly en route to that final Big 12 title and have college football playoff hopes on the line, even if they're on the outside looking in right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then again, Texas Tech fans uh, feebly wish for those things heading into last weekend's game too, and it just wasn't happening. Oklahoma State is better than Texas Tech on both sides of the ball. Ollie Gordon III, there is a biggest challenge for this stout Texas rush defense. It's going to be Ollie Gordon the third and Alan Bowman when he's been able to get it going this year. He has decent receivers. These look pretty darn good too. So this is a great test for this Texas defense, and it's time for this Texas offense to show that they are back on track as well. With Quinn Ewers having a little bit more zip on the ball than he had the two previous weeks and recovering from that AC joint injury, but these guys' goals are all out in front of them now, and they just need to stay focused for one more week. Do the necessary amount of prep, coaches and players included. Not listen to the outside noise because Texas fans are going to be speaking with the utmost confidence heading into this game. And just know that if they take care of their individual and collective jobs, they should win that final Big 12 crown and they will get a cherry on top of uh, putting egg on Brett Yormark's face with that win over Tech in front of him last weekend by having him be forced to hand them that big 12 championship trophy and state uh, shake yep. Sarkeesian's hands. Yeah, that, that would be great. Right. That, 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 that's the best storyline for, for Texas football there is on the way out. Uh, it gives you a lot of confidence going into what everybody 
assumes it's going to be a, a tough first year in the SEC. So, yeah, I, I like that. They've got, like you said, Trey, everything in front of them. You can control your own destiny at this point um, in, in terms of you went out and, and it is what it is, right? Um, and then hopefully, you know, gear up for next year and, and make a run when there's now 12 spots. Trey mentioned Quinn Ewers a second ago. little chatter about him potentially coming back. It's quieted down a little bit just because of everything team-wise that they have to play for. Mm-hmm. But what would you do if you were him? It's a d- difficult situation, tough decision. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if I'm him, I might want to see the writing on the wall that Texas fan base, uh, the whether it's the coaches and the talk in the locker room, that's one thing yeah, entirely. But it seems like if he were to were to go out this year, he's going out on a high from a Texas fan base point of view. Obviously, going into the draft, if they, they do well and he puts up good numbers in the final two games, then it, it could obviously bump his – drafts stock up quite a bit. You've got some great quarterbacks in this year's draft already. Um, I may be concerned from from his future in the NFL point of view that that if he were to go out this year versus next year, it might be a little bit better for him to wait a year um, because the, the quarterback draft seems so deep this year. But um, from a Texas fan point of view, I, I'd like to see him kind of go out on top and, and – do what's next, and then now you get uh, Archie, which everybody's fired up about. So um, that's what I'd say, but he's got to do what's best for him too, right? Um, I would never fault a guy, a player, anybody for, for doing what's right for them. So if he feels like that's coming back for another year and, like I said, waiting for maybe not as deep a quarterback draft next year and he might get uh, a look somewhere pretty decent, then, hey, do that, man, and then come back and light it up and give Archie a run for his money. Tristan, what is the best team culture that you were ever a part of, and what was the key to things gelling more than any other team that you were on? Yeah, I mean, it, as far as gelling and, and, and best team culture, weirdly enough, I have to say when my, my time in Edmonton for the Eskimos, right? And, and I don't know if it was uh, – this was the first – really the first and only pro experience I had being in a locker room for an extended amount of time um because i played there and then had some practice squad stuff but you're you're only there for so long um with some of the practice squads and and you know tryouts and stuff um edmonton was the only real amount of time i spent in the pros um but my thought process always came down to most of those guys had jobs in the off season so for them it was much more about the playing for the love of the game right um which just made for a lighter atmosphere Guys weren't chasing money. They're not chasing status. They're just there because uh, they want to play football, which is great. Um, at Texas, I'd say that last year under Charlie Strong, even though it didn't end very well for us as a team, uh, that team was really, really tight. And and I know myself included, a lot of people were broken up when that, that coaching staff got kind of disintegrated. And there were parts of it that needed to be for sure. Um but I, I don't think you'll find anybody that played for Charlie Strong to ever say anything bad about him or that they didn't like him as a coach. And so that was probably the, the tightest group I had that I was a part of uh, at Texas, at least. And going off of that, clearly it's it's not an easy thing to do. To Even if you feel like you have the culture developed the way you want it to, there's got to be something that plays out on the field that gets everybody finally 
buying into it and believing in it. You mentioned mm -hmm. players loving Charlie. I yeah. mean, when he ultimately got fired before that, that was when everybody, the, when all the players showed up to the press conference and were saying, we, we want him to stay, we want him yeah. to stay. But if you could think back to that, and I know you're not in this locker room now, but you know, there was talent on your teams too, Tristan. I mean, you guys said you were a good player. You guys had a lot of good players on, on those teams. Mm -hmm. Charlie re recruited well, Herman recruited well after him. What is, what's the difference right now? Is it just that much better level of player? Like why, why has this finally flipped? For, Not to go me, totally like massive big picture. Yeah, on you. yeah, for sure. For me, it's, it's a maturity thing, right? Like the teams that I was a part of that Charlie Strong coached, and, and this is partially on Charlie Strong and his coaching staff, right? You've got to instill that sense of drive and that sense of like, we've got to win these games before you're going to Lawrence, Kansas and getting beat. Because I was, I was there. I was a part of that game, and I saw the everybody's mentality flip to, oh, this guy's going to lose his job. Because once we got beat in Kansas, we knew, he knew, and it was kind of played out through the rest of the season how it happened, right? Um, but we started playing our best football after the fact, and it was because we were all bought in. We wanted to really come together for, for our guy, for Coach Strong and his coaching staff that he built. But it was too, too little too late, right? I think the mark of a really good uh, uh, team that's that's really well coached is that mentality and that drive to win that we can't let our guys down, our coaches, our, our you know fellow teammates. That starts in the preseason. Right? It starts ideally the season before, and then you just carry it. That's why coaches like Nick Saban have built such uh, a culture around their program because he's got you know 20 years to, to build that, right? You're just building on and on and on. And so I, I think what – uh, what Sark has done really well is he's built that up really fast. Now I think the the hard part is keeping that for for years and years to come, right? Like, is the success you've had because you've built this culture, or because you've had players like B. John Robinson and and C.J. Baxter and, and Xavier Worthy that have propelled you to you know where you are now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next year when some of those guys move on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. What happens when you don't have the the, the you know the god eater down the middle, uh, uh, maybe on sweat. I mean, geez, I, Texas is going to have to replace that guy with two guys. Um, but but I, yeah, and Byron, Mur and Byron Murphy's gone next year too. Just announced that he's playing in the Reese's Senior Bowl, so there was a chance he could come back. Losing yeah. both those guys who are two of the top-rated defensive interior defensive linemen, according to Pro Football Focus, that that is a uh, giant gaping hole in the middle. And maybe Alfred Collins comes back for one more year. Vernon brought. I mean, they have guys waiting in the wings, but there are no guarantees yeah. that they're going to come close in performance to what the two guys in the middle have done this year. Yeah, and you don't need to either, right? Like you can't replace two all-time run stoppers um, very easily anyway. So I think that's, again, the mark of a good team and a, and a good culture. If you're able to build on that and then say, okay, well, if the run stop up the middle isn't this team's specialty, what is? Uh, and then a good coaching staff will shift and, and move things around in the offseason. So um, I'm excited for what Sark has built, and it seems like the first time since since I've you know been associated with Texas, that it's been this much momentum going in the right direction into like a new adventure, right? Going into the SEC, which is just even better. 
just quickly, how how confident do you feel bringing it back to this week that <laughs> the Longhorns will win one, and if they do, that they won't make it a, a scary game like like they have it a couple times or at a couple uh, points this I, year. I think the the Horns pull it out. Uh, I do think it'll be a close game though. I, I think what this team and what Sark's done a good job of all year is winning big games, although it's not been the results in terms of you blew everybody out that you wanted it to be. Um, they, they've done a great job of winning uh, when they needed to. So I, I think with all of the momentum they've got right now, I, I find it hard for them to squander this opportunity. Um, but I do think it'll be closer than comfort. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I had to put a, a number on it, maybe like, like 17, 27, um, but, but maybe Texas takes it late, but I think it'll probably be tied up. If not the horns behind at halftime. Ooh, horns trailing at halftime. All right. Uh, Jeff, did you have any more football questions before I go non-sports for a sec? No, let's, let's hit it. All right, Tristan. Uh, Christmas. Where do you fall on Christmas? There are people who are very pro Christmas. There are some curmudgeons out there, perhaps myself included, who aren't anti-Christmas necessarily, but have a, a lower threshold with regards to songs and lights and presents under the Christmas tree. Where are you on Christmas? I, I'm a Christmas fanatic. I'm the opposite of a Grinch. Um, I love Christmas. It's the best holiday. Don't at me. Um, I, I that that's that's how I feel. I this is not a joke. I have a twenty foot tall reindeer in my front yard. Um, oh wow, inflatable. Up, yeah, inflatable, yeah. not like an actual reindeer. That'd be incredible. <laughs> uh, yeah, an inflatable reindeer out in my front yard. So I, I'm a big fan of Christmas. Uh, so favorite Christmas song. Favorite Christmas song. Um, uh, classic Jingle Bells. Uh, I'm not like a, a you know Mariah Carey Christmas like I I, I think all Christmas music is great but I, I like the the classic uh, carols almost. Okay, is there somebody that you prefer to have singing Jingle Bells when you hear that song or just um, and you know maybe this is a recency bias my my daughter who's like two years old now she's starting to sing and, and do that so we've been singing Jingle Bells a lot so her that she's used the 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 best one I like to hear singing. So is she even like kind of starting to grasp like Christmas and how cool Christmas is for kids and all that? Cause we have a five-year-old in our house uh-huh. and that's, what's gotten me more into it yeah. than I ever was before or since I was a kid at least. Cause my sure. parents were awesome about Christmas and all that. But now that, now that we're at that stage, it's like everything, like we have the tree up and the ornaments yeah. and I mean, you know, yeah. so can she understand that yet? She's not really like understanding it as a, as like, like the concept of a holiday. Right. So she sees we, the reindeer's name's Rudy. Um, and so she wants to, when she wakes up, she wants to say, okay, good morning to Rudy. So like she's starting to do like notice stuff like that. And she knows who Santa is. Uh, she knows what a Christmas tree is. So like she's understanding like the vocabulary of the subject, if that makes sense, but not yeah. the concept. So yeah, I think it'll probably be a couple more years before she's full on, uh, you know, listening for reindeer on, on Christmas Eve night. Enjoy these, but I'm, but I'm looking forward to that. Enjoy these magical moments while you can, because eventually they stop believing the Santa lie, and they become even greedier for the presents. It's a strange combination. It's like you realize uh, Santa's not real now. It's us buying you all these gifts. 
but I still right. want this and this and this from Santa. No, Santa's right. not real anymore. This is this is how this works. You're asking mom and dad for these yeah. presents. We get the actual credit that we've been that we've deserved all along while we yeah. were flying our faces off to you about some fat guy who fits down a chimney every year. Right. We don't even have a, a chimney tray. Like I don't know how I'm supposed to explain that. We've got an electric fireplace. Yeah, do do you just like do you just explain it to them as like, well, we just we give them the door code and you know and then we, we leave it unlocked. And the side, we leave the side door unlocked for Santa and he just lets himself in and closes it on the inside on his way out. Yeah, because we we don't have a chimney either. Trey, do you? We have a it's it's a show chimney. It's it's got it's propane fueled, so it doesn't have it has a very very narrow hole leading up through the chimney. So technically, we have a chimney, but there's no way that some some old guy who weighs 350 pounds is going to be fitting down this chimney. I'm sorry. Santa's magic allows him to get smaller. Trey, have you not seen uh, the Santa Claus? I have not seen the Santa Claus. No. Tim Allen, fantastic. 350 pounds? Maybe he could replace Tavondre Sweat. <laughs> There you go. That's who, that's who Texas needs to go. Santa, 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 Santa three technique. There's yeah. no, there's no way he has the hip bend necessary to be successful, even at the high school level, much less uh, Division I. One college football level. I think he could surprise you. Did you? This is com- completely unrelated, but it made me think of it. Did you guys see the Texas football Twitter account put out the the um, then versus now or how it started, how it's going now, whatever type deal? And it was their pictures of the guys on their recruiting visit when they go take the photos, mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing. And then it was a picture of them now. I mean, Andre Sweat. Oh, my, I mean, all of them. Yeah. All of them, but Tavondre Sweat. Oh, my gosh. Like that dude. I mean, he looked like if you just saw that, it was probably like belly up. Mm-hmm. I mean, neck was like thin. Like probably looked like he could have played. Like if you were like, that dude's going to, he's a stud tight end. I would have been like, oh, cool. Yeah, and right. then you see him now, and you're like, "This dude is an absolute beast." Yeah, that, that's a good weight room program for you. Seriously, yeah, that is credit to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to Christmas. Sorry, Trey. No, no, you're good. Uh, fa- favorite Christmas movie, Tristan? Die Hard. Okay, he's in the uh, Die Hard's a Christmas movie category. I agree. Yeah. By the way. Yeah, didn't didn't need to think about that one too much. Um, outside of that, Elf. It, for the for the crowd that thinks that Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, then in that category, it Elf. So so then, Home Alone's a Christmas movie, right? Yeah. Okay. If it takes place during Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Are people arguing that Home Alone is not a Christmas movie? Oh, I feel like I've I feel like I've heard that argument before. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that one. I've definitely okay. heard the Die Hard uh, uh, argument before, and I don't agree with that. Again, if it happens during Christmas, by default, Christmas movie. Those people are not at that building if it's not for a Christmas party. This is, I feel like exactly. I'm taking crazy pills when I'm talking to somebody who's making it seem like Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. Like, it's I realize there may not be a Santa Claus in that movie, but they are at a Christmas party. That's all you need right there. He wears yeah. a Santa Claus. I mean, that's. Yes, he does. If 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 a key uh, if a key part of the story revolves around Christmas, then then yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Now people will also point out that Die Hard came out in the dead of summer, and I think if you have an argument, that is that's the strongest argument right there. But it doesn't matter. It was a fucking Christmas party. Right. 
I don't. Yeah, they just made they just made a business decision putting it in the summer. I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Blockbuster action flick starring Bruce Willis, who doesn't exactly. remember making it in 2023. Right. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Poor Bruce. Mm. All right, Tristan. Well, uh, thank you as always. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate it. Fun as always. We'll uh, talk to you next week, hopefully with the Longhorns having secured one of four spots in the college football playoff. That'd be sweet. Welcome. See you, Tristan. There he is, Tristan. Nicholson says Texas might be trailing at halftime, but ultimately he's confident in Texas getting it done. I, I loved what he said about culture when you asked him that, Trey. And then when he was talking about what, you know, I, I'm always fascinated by like why it didn't work in other yeah. scenarios where clearly, clearly in his case with Charlie Strong, those guys loved him. And you would think were, I mean, maybe they didn't, you could make an argument that they didn't, show up for him on the field but like i think it's hard to say they didn't go out and like play hard for him maybe you know and it, it really is fascinating on why why it works in certain instances and then why it why it doesn't like why is it that was kind of what i was so fascinated to get tristan's point of view on is like why is it working now i mean you could say they, they're recruiting at a slightly better level and it's probably player development too and all those things but they were recruiting well when Tristan was there and when Tom Herman was there. So yeah, the, the whole culture part of it's fascinating because it really doesn't mean anything if you don't turn that into success and wins on the field. Well, Tom Herman's last season at Texas, Jeff, they won more games in a COVID shortened season. Mind you, they were seven and three on the year, only played 10 games that season. That, that is more wins than any Charlie strong team got in his three years in Austin. The most wins that they got is six. Ended up six and seven on the year because of that putrid bowl game performance against Arkansas in the Texas Bowl. But the culture in the locker room and around the program at that time is, I don't know, as bad as it's been since Mac Brown had left. The last couple of years of Mac Brown, which there was a lot of entitlement that had set in at that point. Guys were afraid to say hello to the head coach when they saw him walking around the football offices or in the locker room. Because of the culture that he had created and how he had kind of shut himself off to everybody. And one of the things that impressed me most about Steve Sarkeesian when he first came here, and even through the shitty first season and last year, which got better, is that he always seemed to value relationships. And Tom Herman never did. Tom Herman, it's almost like he went out of his way to burn any goodwill that had been created in a given moment. Within like a week of that happening. And Steve Sarkeesian is the opposite. And that's not to say everything's always peachy with Sark and the media. Sometimes he snaps back at the media. I don't fault him. I don't fault the media for asking questions that they need to ask either. But overall, there seems to be more of a mutual respect between his fellow humans. It's how he went about hiring coaches, although there seems to be a few exceptions on the current coaching staff. We may see some changes made after this season but especially with how the coaches treat the players and how the tr players treat one another too. And, yeah. And go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the last, the last week or so with it kind of, you know, coming down the stretch of the season, Texas reaching some of these milestones that haven't been reached in a while for this program. Sark's been asked a lot about culture. And I mean, we had that whole five minute response to a question last week to Anwar Richardson's question that ended up going viral and it was a really good question and an even better answer too. 
Um, I think he, there was something I saw that he, he had another answer similar to that this week, just talking about vulnerability and, and being a human. And it's almost, it's almost where like, it is a friendship, but it's not, it's like, I don't know if like comparing it to parenting would be something, but would be something similar, but it's like, where obviously, you know, there's, there's a dynamic between coach and player, especially head coach and player, but in any facet of life, Trey, when, when you're trying to get a group of people to all buy into one thing and all row in the same direction, it helps when the leader and leaders are vulnerable and they're willing to talk about things that they've gone through. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to be more willing to fight for that guy when he's been open and honest with me about things he's gone through in his life, whether it's a leader on the defense, the head coach, the Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive play caller, you know, when you have, when you have that level of relationship with those guys, to your point about valuing the relationships, you know, that goes a long way. And Sark's talked about this too. It takes work with, with anything, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a relationship with your parents, a spouse, anything, relationships like that take work and effort and there's ups and downs and, there's a certain level of vulnerability that I think you need to have. And Sark seems to have that. And he's now opening up a little bit more about it, probably just because he's being asked with the media. And ultimately that means with the public and people are, you know, everyone, everyone knows his story. And I I'll say this, I don't know the best way to say it, but I think that story helps him. I think that adversity helps him. I think being vulnerable and saying, Hey, we're asking you to buy into this culture. I'm living by this culture. Our coaches are going to live by this culture, but that wasn't always the case for me. I think when you can make that, when you can say that to a guy, look somebody in the eye and say, Hey, I, I, I struggled with this. You know, like I struggled with a lot of things in my life. You know, I don't know how deep he goes with, you know, the personal matters and the alcoholism and those kind of things, but I'm sure it's gotten pretty deep. And I know for me personally, I'm sure you'd feel the same way, Trey, if, if I'm going out on the line and playing for a guy like that, and I know that, you know, he's turned his life around, that's, you know, he's hit rock bottom. He's been humbled and he's come back and he's staying humble now. Like that's the type of leadership that I would respond to. And I would want to play for. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, perhaps to your point, he's, he's gone through the, uh, the trials and errors of life, which can help him uh, appreciate those relationships that much more and perhaps getting uh, a second chance from a guy like Nick Saban and going in and seeing what a healthy culture looks like just allowed that to imprint on his personality and his coaching abilities that lent itself to him finding a higher level of success the next time he got that opportunity, which uh, up until this year, he's always been known as, even though he won eight games last year, I get it. He's always been known as seven win Sark because that seemed mm-hmm. to be where he was topping out at a program at Washington at USC below that his first year at Texas, but he seems to have turned the corner now. And uh, this Longhorn football program is the beneficiary of that. And he seems to have a nice mixture of peace and pressure that he's at right now, where he has the peace of knowing you know, I'm in a better place in my life. I've hit rock bottom. I've come back from that. And then it helps him handle the pressure of this job, of the stresses of being the head coach at Texas. I mean, there's a lot of good things that that come from it, but there's no doubt that there's a lot, there's a lot of pressure when you're the head coach at Texas. And I think being at peace personally and being able to overcome the things that he's overcome in his life personally, which which again, like that's that's part of his story. You don't want to ever hit rock bottom like that, but when you do it's always great. We love a great comeback story. You've, you've now, you know, you've, you're now seeing somebody who is 
putting the things that he learned from being at rock bottom into practice. And I think that goes a long way for this team when they're building a culture and they're seeing that, that, that their leader is, is vulnerable, you know, and is also living that way too. Now is living, living out the culture, Hmm. which I think in a lot of cases, you know, and Sark said this too, culture's more than just throwing, throwing something on, you know, a, um, like on the wall or a sign or something like that. Yeah, it's that, but it's also living that every day too. And I think maybe that's in what some of these programs get, get lost in is it's just like, Oh, we've got to have this catchy mottos and stuff, but if you're not living by it, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. The catchy motto can help because it can serve. It's like a daily affirmation. If you're looking at it and, and saying some version of it or talking about it daily, it, it can help keep, what's important top of mind. But if you aren't following through whatever that motto is by actually living it, then it's a complete waste of time. It's a waste of space on the wall and teams every year come up with mottos. It's those that can uh, figure out a way to not just burn it in your brain, but uh, to make sure that, uh, that you are walking the walk to go along with talking that talk, you know, as cliche as that sounds coming out of my mouth, I actually hate that I just said that, but no, but, it, but it is, but it's true. <laughs> it, it's it's important to do those things because in the end, talk is fucking cheap. If you can't actually adhere to it and do it for yourself and do it for uh, do it for your teammates and do it for your coaches, then it's you're wasting everybody's time. But we see. There's a lot of examples here within this Texas program and then throughout the history of sports of individuals and teams that have been good at it and individuals and teams that have been really bad at it too. And typically when you're bad at it, you're, you are not going to achieve your goals and you're certainly not going to overachieve. But this Texas football team is on the verge of achieving some of its biggest preseason goals with a, an opportunity to do a whole lot more before it's all said and done too. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'd, I rolled my eyes early on at the embrace the hate tour and whoa, like in the John wick mentality, you know, and what I said at the beginning of the year was that stuff is really cool when you do what they're doing now. And all I was saying when I was kind of poo pooing some of that stuff was just forgive the rest of us for rolling our eyes at it. When we haven't seen you actually do that on the field and act that way in this program in a long damn time. Yeah. And they're doing that now. So now it's like, oh, the Embrace the Hate Tour. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of sick. One more stop on the Embrace the Hate Tour. I mean, you know, what what better way now to, you know, one one more Big 12 foe that you didn't, longtime Big 12 foe that you didn't get to face in the regular season in your last year. Now you get to potentially win the conference championship game against them. You know, and they're, 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 they're backing it up now. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, Embrace the Hate. That's awesome. <laughs> It's funny you rolled your eyes at first because for the longest time I have been in the category that says ignore the hate, do your job during the week and talent will win out far more often than not. But I leaned hard into the embrace the hate mantra this year because if you weren't going to do that, you were going to let a lot of this trivial bullshit that you have no control over get to you and trip you up. And I'm speaking specifically about some of the lopsided officiating that we've seen going on for two seasons now, but you also know that you're going to get every team's best shot. I mean, how many coaches at big 12 media days talked about how the Texas game was the biggest game circled on their schedule this year. Dana Holgerson said he was told 
You lose every game this year, but you beat Texas. You've done your job this season. Dave Aranda, Baylor too. Baylor, the uh, Joe McGuire obviously felt strongly about that too. Brett Yormark felt strongly enough about it to say something in front of Texas Tech fans. And you know Oklahoma State fans are going to feel strongly. They hate you right now. You are a big reason why they're not going to continue their in-state rivalry after this season. They would love nothing more than to ruin your season by keeping you from being able to accomplish those goals. There's going to be a lot of vitriol on the field to start the game Saturday at 11 a.m. And it's up to you to stay focused this week, to study your opponent like you need to, to practice like you want to play in the game. And if you do those things and you do your job anywhere close to what you're capable of, talent and preparation should win out. And you should find yourself victors one more time this season. Yeah, and this team, with the exception of a few games that were too close for comfort, whatever reasons, valid reasons or excuses, whatever you want to call it, they may have had for those games – losing your quarterback late in the Houston game, uh, not having that same quarterback for the Kansas State game and having to win that one in overtime. You know, different games here and there. This team has seemed uniquely focused. And when I say unique, I just mean compared to other Texas teams that I've been around in my six years and change here. And I think that was maybe the best example of it last week or Saturday, what they did to Tech. I mean, they absolutely – beat the living shit out of Texas Tech, Trey. I mean, that was as thorough a victory in a big game like that as I've seen around here in a long time. I mean, it really was. like that, And, and I feel like just because since we started doing this, and I mean, like, I mean, obviously Alabama was a damn good win too, but just at DKR in a late, you know, November game like that with what was – specifically at stake going in the next week, senior night, all those things. Um, we just haven't, haven't seen that from this program. Oh. No, no. You, you occasionally get it against Texas Tech and Austin when Texas is even decent and Texas Tech's not that good. And that was – that's why if I had one money pick this year, it would have been Texas covering that double-digit line heading into last weekend's game. You could just feel a beatdown coming. Even Texas Tech fans who were trying to chirp confidently – before the game last Friday, they were they were about as confident as a wet noodle with their tweets. It's like, we're going to kick you guys' butts, I hope. <laughs> nope. Say that with a little bit more confidence, please. But it was an all-around performance, and that was a li- it was fueled a little bit by Texas Tech, but it was also fueled. I know CB just tweeted this at me again. Jatavian Sanders talked about it as, at his media avail today. They had Brett Yormark's comments playing regularly in the weight room last week like the reason why they did what they did is because they knew brett yormark was going to be in the crowd their conference commissioner was openly rooting against them at the start of the year and guess what guys he's going to be there next weekend too although this time he has to stay to the end what's going to be sweeter than beating the shit out of texas tech at home last friday winning that very last big 12 championship and having him come down on the field shake your coach's hand and give you that trophy. Man, I mean, we think uh, we think Rob Manfred gets booed when he hands out the World Series trophy. Can you imagine if your mark has to hand out the, the Big 12 title trophy in Arlington to UT? 
That's going to be something. He's, he's going to face, yeah. He's going to get Gary Bettman level booze <laughs> after the game. I don't know enough about hockey to know just how bad that dude gets booed. Everybody, every commissioner gets booed. Gary Bettman gets booed the worst, in my opinion. Although baseball fans gave Rob Manfred a run for his money after this year's World Series. And Roger Goodell, we know how Roger Goodell gets well, booed in the draft every year. The Goodell boos are so disingenuous, too. It's like, it's like, boo, yet we all flew to Vegas to watch you read names off of a paper for three freaking days, and your product's amazing, and I'm going to pay $350 for Sunday ticket, boo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, you're, you're, you're right. just boo- Yeah, you're just booing to boo at that point. Like, the NFL's unbelievable product. Like, when I feel like when people boo Manfred, you know, it's the Astros cheating scandal or – prior to this year, you know, some of the different things in the game that people had issues with, like actual like aspects of the game. People are just like, oh, Roger Goodell's some asshole suit that makes $40 million. Which, by the way, when you actually like listen to him do interviews and and just listen to him talk in general and interact, like seems like a really good dude. Goodell? Yeah. At least uh, to me, that's that's the vibe I get. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a, a you know, slimy corporate suit at the end of the day that'll do anything for for some coin i mean he works for the nfl owners and makes 40 mil a year but he comes he comes across as much more like relatable and dynamic of a personality than i feel like manfred does it's relative manfred's a complete scumbag Batman's a scumbag adam silver strikes me as super scummy too like yeah relative to the other commissioners he does feel like the most down-to-earth too despite the fact that he makes the most and his product is the most important for uh, America, not just American sports, American pop culture, probably outside of Taylor Swift. By the way, Trey, uh, an hour and 49 going on 50 minutes, yet no B. Staley beatdown from us. I mean, it's just like he, he, he just does it to himself. He doesn't need, he doesn't need us. What we don't more need to, do at this point. We know. We, we know exactly what fan knows and what everybody except for the owner of that franchise seems to understand that he needs to be fired. There's like a weird argument that's probably going around today, Jeff, that they held Baltimore to well, what 20 points on the game. So the defense is actually starting to get its shit together. And honestly, it's very tech, it's very tex- Texas-esque of maybe the last like decade or so of just zero complimentary football with that team. Yeah. I mean, all I hear every year is how great all these pieces are, how great Justin Herbert is. Keenan Allen's unbelievable. And yet it's what, what was it? 13 to 10. Justin Tucker does something he never does. Misses a kick from, from anywhere, let alone inside 45 yards. I think it was a 44 yard field goal. And they can't even turn that into a game tying field goal. They can't even get two first downs and let Cameron Dicker kick a game-tying field goal. It's like when Herbert's awesome, then the defense sucks. When the defense plays a good game, then Herbert and the offense can't do anything. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, them and the Bills, maybe just the two. Are they easily, I think they're easily the two most just, even if you don't root for them, just infuriating teams to watch. Definitely infuriating if you root for the of those two teams. It's just maybe mystifying this is a better word of like, how are you this bad with this much supposed talent? Yeah, a lot of it happens on the sidelines. But this is a 
it's an era where there seems like there's a lot of bad coaching in the NFL right now. And I don't know if, if it's because there's a lot of guys who are first time coaches and they're having to take their lumps or if the rules have allowed these guys to a little, to get a little bit more lazy because it's so easy to be successful on offense. I don't know what it is right now, but Brandon Staley is amongst the worst in the bunch. Now you're a Raiders fan. You guys lost yesterday to the Kansas city chiefs and y'all got rid of Marcus Peters after the game too. Does that move the needle for you one way or the other? I haven't read specifically on what was going on, but he's a guy that is just, a, just seems like a really kind of a volatile personality when things he's, are great. He's a, sh- he's a shithead, right? Like when things are great, they're great. And he's the dude that you want, you want out there. He's going to perform well, but then when, probably not the guy you want to lean on in adversity, maybe to put it that way. I mean, really good player, but yeah, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know if that really moves the needle. I think it's, it's exactly what I predicted. They were going to come out red hot after they got rid of McDaniels. Cause clearly everyone just couldn't stand that dude at all. And Antonio Pierce, how could you not want to run through a brick wall for that dude? I was telling you a couple weeks ago when he dropped the, like, I'm a Raider. I'm from Compton. Like, I'm, I'm as Raider as it gets. I was like, give me a helmet and I'll, I don't care. I'll ball. <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't sprinted in months. I'll, I'll shut somebody down right now. I'll, I'll go tackle somebody. Won't go well, but you know, it was, it was so predictable. They were going to play hard and likely at points play well early on for him. And then you kind of come back to reality. Like you go play the dolphins on the road, you go play the chiefs. <laughs> and it's like, Oh yeah. Like, we're still a average at best team or a slight at best when that offense or when that rosters click in and you've got somebody that can get it to Devonte Adams and Josh, Josh Jacobs is doing his thing. You know, that's a good team slightly above average at best. I think it's kind of playing out as, as much as I thought, and even, or as well as I thought, and even that game last night, I don't know. You know, it just, I, I didn't really, I didn't put too much stock into it. I don't even, and you're kind of in purgatory right now with the Raiders where it's like, you're not going to get a high pick. No. You also kind of already feel like O'Connell's not really the guy. So it's sort of like, what the hell do you do the next few weeks of the season? Yeah. I mean, is there any, any hope that Jimmy G can come back healthy and maybe turn into the guy? (laughs) I don't, I don't have any, I mean, I don't have any hope for that. Do you see, is there, is there anything? Did you see the Panthers already fired Frank Reich? Not even a full season into his tenure in Carolina. Yeah, I, I heard some rum. I mean, they were there weren't even like rumblings really. Like people were talking about that openly the last couple of weeks. I thought they'd at least wait till the end of the season. But is there a more I don't know the word like just quick trigger owner than Tepper? Like that's I mean that's crazy to. I don't know if it's crazy to get rid of Reich, but to make that higher and then basically I I feel like they told him you got to take Bryce Young and then to fire him after 11 games is wild. I'm not saying I think Frank Reich is, you know, the next great thing, you know, in in coaching by any means, but that's, that's an interesting way of going about business. We talked about culture with, Steve Sarkeesian in Texas. Was there something happening culture-wise in that locker room, or is that purely a Tepper thing? I mean, I feel like that that is about anybody. I know that they've been awful this year, and Bryce Young 
number one draft pick has been one of the worst QBs in the league numbers wise, but this roster has a long ways to go too. Right. Well, and that's why I'm thinking that has to be the owners. I mean, the owner 11 games, there's still six games left. Yeah. That's crazy. In, in his first season, like I got it with McDaniels. I mean, that was, you know, that was clearly because the guys just did not like him. They just were not gelling. Right. So. Right. Boy, I'm wondering if I told my kids that they were uh, going to be coming home with a neighbor. So we're going to find out in about five <laughs> minutes if, uh, if I forgot to tell them that, because I'll be rushing up to school to, uh, to uh, go grab them myself. But uh, anything else NFL wise that uh, stuck out to you either thanks Thanksgiving games or the uh, the late afternoon game yesterday between the Bills and Eagles. Eagles figure out another way to win a game that they probably should have lost. It feels like they've been doing that for the last month now. Meanwhile, the Bills, despite the fact that they have scored 100 more points than the opposition, find themselves at 500. And is a, a, a question mark wrapped in an enigma or an enigma wrapped in a question mark? Well, I, you know, from an Eagles standpoint, Trey, I always look at that through the lens of the Cowboys, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but just being here and the job lends itself to always thinking about what does this mean for the Cowboys? And every time I see the Eagles and Jalen Hurts do something like that, I just cannot help but think, why do they find ways to win? And the Niners in a lot of ways too. I mean, you can make an argument different in the playoffs, even though that's the coaching staff and the team that's been to a Super Bowl and been to NFC championship games. Like, why can't the Cowboys find ways to make those plays? Like, the Cowboys, against good teams, the Cowboys, more often than not, actually, I'll go as far as to say, almost always, don't find a way to win those games. I mean, right now, it's, what do you even think of this team? Same conversation we had last week and the week before that. They just keep beating up on bad teams, yet when they get in a game, I mean, like Jake says, the Eagles are the luckiest team in sports. Like, I don't know. They played in the Super Bowl last year. And they're finding ways to win games. Like Jalen Hurts finds a way to, they find a way to make plays. Like if there was anybody that I trust at the end of a game, like, I don't know, he's developing that clutch reputation right now where you just feel like he's going to make the right play. Like he's just going to make the play that they, that needs to be made. And you would feel the same about their defense. Their defense did the same thing. Stopping the Cowboys in that 28 to 23 game a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Like, again, it goes back to the culture of, why is it working now? Why didn't it work before? Why do the Eagles find ways to make plays late in games and win, yet against good teams the Cowboys don't? They're, what, 9-3 and three now this year? 8-3? and three? Every win they've had is against a team with a losing record. And two of their losses are against the two teams that they played, the class of, of their conference, the 49ers and the Cowboys, or the, the 49ers and the Eagles, and they couldn't win. Well, they're going to get a chance to prove it over uh, over the next several weeks now. I think at some point you have to win one of these games in the regular season. Like I get people say, oh, well, just, okay, just do it in the playoffs. You have to do it at some point in the regular season because then when you get to this point in the postseason, how could you ever have confidence that, okay, well, now we're just going to flip the switch when you've never done it? Like I don't think that switch gets flipped. I think that that – mentality of we're going to find a way to win the game and find a way to make that winning play when it matters. I think that's developed. You have to do that. And the Cowboys have not done that. 
No, no. no. But they have to because they play Seattle at home this Thursday, Philly at home Sunday night after that, at Buffalo, at Miami, Lions at home, and then at the Washington Commies to end the season. So with the exception of the Commies, those are all teams that are vying for the playoffs right now. And the Bills don't have a winning record, but but all of those teams essentially uh, have winning records. Yeah. And also the Bills, too. Like, if you get a win over the Bills, I mean, you know you just beat a at least talented team. Whether or not they're a cohesive, well-coached team at the moment, that's another conversation. But you know you beat a team with a talented quarterback. I mean, to me, it's like similar to, like, would be, be like beating the Chargers right now. Which the Cowboys, that's probably, is that the Cowboys' best win? Uh, I think it may be on, actually on the road at the chargers. Like, is that their best win? That team's four and seven, but at least with that win, you're like, they went on the road in prime time and beat them 20 to 17. Yeah. Cause the jets were the first week without Rogers Cardinals suck. They were without Kyler Murray, but you lost that game. Patriots have an outside shot at the number one overall draft pick got crushed by the 49ers. Yeah. At the chargers. That's their best win right now. The, four and six or four and seven chargers, whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. Four and seven chargers. Now, how the fuck does Brandon Staley survive another week? Um, gotta be it for him. I mean, the, the Spanos family is a reputation of being pretty cheap. Like, I don't know if that has something to do with it. If it's just like, it's not like college where you got to go get your guy in place before early signing day. So I wonder if they're just like, let him figure it out. But the only, the only issue with that is you run the risk of not firing the guy when everyone would understand why you fired him. And then he gets hot and gets going and guys start to kind of half believe and have one foot in one foot out, but they're finding they're somehow now are finding ways to win games against, you know, get wins that don't necessarily really matter. Like we've seen that happen all the time. And, and that's kind of like put you in a situation where you go, well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I made this argument. I've made it several times in uh, the history of UT athletics and my fansmanship with UT sports. I made this argument about Shaka Smart. It was midway through a season where they suffered one of the worst losses in program history. It was to West Virginia, I think. And uh, kids are home, so I didn't royally screw that one up. <laughs> and, uh, I made the argument. I'm like, look, I know Shaka Smart's a good guy. Everybody loves him. You got to get rid of him right now. Like, th- there's like we've seen enough to know that he's not going to be the guy because otherwise, you run the risk of him building up enthusiasm just enough to make it think that he could actually still be the guy. And that was the year that they somehow made it to the NIT and won their uh, NIT national <laughs> championship as the. Uh, Texas basketball Twitter would want, want to have you believe, and it was fool's gold. It was false hope because he was gone a year later or whatever it was. So well, I completely agree with what you're saying about Staley right now. Do not give him a chance to work his way back to just a game or two below 500, but we saw some positive moments in those last six games, so maybe that's something worth building on next year. No, Brandon Staley is exactly who we know Brandon Staley is. And he already got the pass for the epic choke in the playoff game. Like he already got a pass for that. He's been given a pass. They could have fired him after that, given some of the questionable decisions he's made. And I don't think anybody would have really had a major issue with it. He literally has the second worst record in the AFC right now. It's tied with Tennessee, 
and and uh, the Jets, and the worst record is the Patriots. And the Patriots aren't even trying anymore. No, they are trying to win games. And they the are Raiders have more wins. Raiders do have more wins. You're right. <laughs> the Raiders are at five and seven. They're at four and seven. Uh, be Staley, be Staley, staple of this show. <laughs> the uh, be Staley pinata comes out for uh, yeah. one more turn. We're just dumping on Brandon Staley, Zay. Yeah, I know, man. Picking the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I know. I mean, the Ravens, they're a good team, so a lot of guys will lose to them. But with his track record and blowing games, I heard y'all mention the playoffs last year. Like, that's inexcusable. They were up, what, 24 points against the Jags before Trevor Lawrence and those boys came back and won that game. So, yeah, Justin Herbert, he's just too talented to be wasting these years that he has right now. And their defense, you talk about Bosa and, you know, they just got, you know, they got a lot of guys. They got a lot of guys that their record doesn't show for. And then I know it's the National Football League and all, but, yeah, there's no excuse over there in L.A. And it seems like Staley 2023 might be the last for him down in Southern Cal. That is right. What's uh, what's on tap today, guys? A lot of Longhorn talk, I'm assuming, and uh, just recapping the rest of the football weekend. Oh, yeah, a lot of Longhorn talk. We'll get, we'll get the uh, party started looking toward the Big 12 championship game. That's right. I just said it. Texas playing <laughs> for a Big 12 championship. Come on. See you in Arlington, Chip. Let's go. Let's go, Barker. Another another great job by you, you and Trey. Oh, thank you. Yep. Good job, Jeff. We're going to let you guys get to it now. Thanks, fellas. Good show. Right, fellas. Later. Thanks, fellas. Cool.